For us, we are continuing our series, The Mask That We Wear. As Redverse joins us this morning, I just want to say once again, Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Again, I'm so glad that you decided that this service was going to be part of your family Thanksgiving celebration. So thanks for joining us. Uh, Question number one to get us all kicked off. What are you thankful for today? What are you thankful for in this season And this is actually a question that I want us to, if you're online, go ahead, throw your answers up, Facebook, YouTube, I'd love to see what you're thankful for. Uh, Anybody in-house, this is your permission to be loud. What what are you thankful for today? What are you excited about today? Not all at once. Calm down. Anybody? (laughs) Stephen's thankful for his legs. Anybody else? Family, amen to that. Anybody else? Mm. Mm-hmm. Jesus' ability to forgive the almost impossible things, but nothing is impossible, right? That is a great one. Um, just so you know... <laughs> We, we're Pentecostal church. It is okay to be boisterous throughout the service. You can make noises. You can say amen. You can let me know I'm doing a good job. Don't boo. I can't handle that. My <laughs> ego would just be, but like, when it's, say, yeah, there we go. Someone mashed that button. I can't see it on the back screen, but we should, you know, it, we go to rider games and we scream and we cheer. Don't scream. But like, we get excited about a rider game. Don't we get excited about church? Don't we get excited about God and his truth and we should be a little more animated when we get to church. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, so this morning we're continuing the masks that we wear, the series. And, and oddly enough, in a way that only God could orchestrate, because I didn't even fit, put these together until this morning as I was thinking and praying, and I realized that I forgot to incorporate Thanksgiving into my message, God came along he's like, actually, you're thinking, talking about Thanksgiving the whole time. Perfect. So this is the weirdest Thanksgiving message ever, but bear with me. We'll get to the part where Thanksgiving ties into everything. But uh, last week we talked about this idea of the, the martyr, right? Somebody who is so sacrificial, so, and not just being sacrificial, not just serving everybody, but exaggerating what they are being sacrificial about, exaggerating the amount that they are giving, and we all, we've probably met somebody like this, and one of the drawbacks of the mask is it's hiding this person's desire to be valued, they're trying to find belonging, and so they exaggerate, they're trying to convince us that they belong to the group, and the truth was is that they need to drop the mask and let Jesus be the one who validates them. They needed Jesus to come in and fill that hole that they're clearly trying to fill through action and Anyways, this morning, to introduce the next mask, and we're going to kind of combine two or three together this morning, so you can prepare yourselves for that, Um, we're going to look at King Saul. Now, we're not going to look at all of King Saul's story. Uh, Last week, we looked at Ananias and Sapphira, because it's like seven verses. King Saul is like 20 chapters. We're not reading 20 chapters worth of scripture, but I invite you to go back to 1 Samuel after the service and read the story of Saul, and read all of his triumphs, and read all about all of his 
failures and his shortcomings because that's the part we always key in on, and that's the part I'm going to highlight today. We're going to just kind of take key points of Saul's story to help us relate the story to the mask that we so often wear. Uh, but a little background, Israel, when we get to 1 Samuel, Israel is coming out of the time of the judges. And the judges were these great people empowered by the Holy Spirit to save Israel from invading nations. Nations that were persecuting them, nations that were enslaving them. And so a judge would rise up and save the nation from from this nation. And the judge would lead them. The judge would become the moral standard. And he would be the teacher. And he would be God or she. There were some female judges in there. They would be the spokesman on behalf of God and the leader of the nation. And we get the first Samuel Samuel has been born. He is a prophet of God. He speaks the words of God. He has this deep relationship with the Lord, but he is also considered to be the last judge. So he is a leader. Everyone looks to him. He is the one who leads in the battle. He is the one who, who uh, seeks the Lord on behalf of the nation. And when we get to chapter 10, the nation has risen up and said, we want a king. We don't want judges anymore. We don't want prophets anymore. We want a king because these nations that keep taking over us, they have gods and they have kings. And Israel's model, they weren't supposed to have a king. God was the king. It was called a theocracy. They didn't need somebody to be the leader. God was the leader. But the people rose up and they got tired of this model. And they're like, these nations that keep coming after us, they have kings. We want a king. And so often when we ask God and we make demands of God, because that's what they're doing, they're demanding Samuel to appoint a king over them. When we make demands of God, sometimes God gives us what we want and we very quickly realize why we shouldn't have asked for that. Because God says to Samuel, fine, I'm going to give them the king, I'm going to give them a king and I'm going to give them exactly what they want. And he gives them Saul. Saul was an impressive man. He was handsome. He was a foot or he was a head and shoulders above everybody else. He was strong. He was big. He would have looked intimidating in battle. He made everyone else feel small and weak. So he was the perfect king on the outside. But we read in 1 Samuel when they go to announce that he is the king, he's hiding in the luggage. Not exactly a good first impression for your newly minted king who's supposed to lead you into battle. So in in 1 Samuel 10, Saul is anointed as king, and he has a few victories, but by the time we get to chapter 13, we read that two years has passed. And interestingly enough, we don't actually know how old Saul was when he became king. In my Bible, it was blanked out because the word that they used was kind of obscure. The Hebrew and the Greek didn't really shed light on it. Maybe your Bible has something. Um, but it, they, weren't, they were not sure how old Saul actually was when he became king. But we know that by chapter 13, it's been two years, they are marching into war against the Philistines. And the Philistine army is huge. It is strong. They have conquered Israel time and time again. And they are waiting They're waiting for Samuel to come. Samuel is coming to do a sacrifice, to seek the Lord on behalf of the nation, and they're waiting. And day after day, they wait, and they wait. And seven days has passed when we pick up the story in chapter 13. Saul says, he waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering. Saul's losing control. 
He's losing his army. People are too afraid. They are taken off. They are abandoning their posts. They are abandoning camp. People are scattering. And Saul reacts. So Saul says, bring me the burnt offering. Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. How many times does that happen? You do something you're not supposed to, you get done, and ha somebody shows up. We're like, uh-oh. Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Every child's worst line when, they, when parents catch them doing something they're not supposed to do. What have you done? <laughs> and Saul said, when I saw the people scattering from me, and you did not come within the days appointed, that the Philistines had mustered and micmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. Because according to the Old Testament law, only one person was supposed to do the offering. That was the priest. At the time, not only did Samuel serve as judge and prophet, he served as priest. Only Samuel was allowed to do this. You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your king over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Saul has a plan. Saul wants to be in completely in control. He wants everyone to do exactly as he is instructed, exactly, and he's losing control. He's losing grasp on the army, and so he reacts in a panic. He acts rashly and he does something that is illegal for him to do he breaks god's law and he offers this sacrifice and samuel says god's not gonna put up with this you did something you should not have done and now you're gonna lose your kingdom we jump ahead to the next chapter and we read this so what is happening so further ahead um god is god has declared he's taking the kingdom away Saul's son, Jonathan, attacks the, the camp at Michmash. He says, God, if you're with me, I'm going to take them over. The people are fleeing, and Saul has now seen the Philistines are in retreat, and he's taking the men to finish them off. He's marching them, he's driving them to finish this fight to make sure the Philistines never come back is the goal. And we read this in the story. And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. So Saul had laid an oath on the people saying, cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening and I am avenged on my enemies. People are tired. People have been marching all day. They've been running after this enemy. They're getting wore out. And obviously they're starting to slow down. And Saul's answer is, instead of let's stop and eat and rejuvenate so we can fight better, he says, cursed be anyone who stops. Cursed be anyone who pulls out his food. Cursed be anyone who dares slows us down. And people, are, people become afraid. I don't want to be cursed. I don't want to carry that on my family. I don't want... I don't want this. And so none of the people had tasted food, except we have a problem. Now all, when all the people had come to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground, and the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping. This happens, right? Don't eat. What happens? All the tasty food shows up. 
<gasps> but no one put his hand in the mouth, for the people feared the oath that Saul had made. But Jonathan, Saul's son, had not heard his father's charge to the people with the oath. So he put out the tip of his staff was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes became bright. <gasps> oh, I got food. I am energized. I feel much better now. This is good. Then one of the people said, your father charged, strictly charged the people on oath saying, curse be the man who eats the food this day. And the people were faint. Then Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. My father has not done what is right. See how my eyes become bright because I tasted a little of this honey? How much, of, how much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found, for now the defeat of the Philistines has not been great. Jonathan recognizes right away the people are tired and we're not going to have a great win. This is not going to go well. But because of he's eaten, he is now taking on the curse. We read later that Saul was going to kill his own son for breaking this curse, for for breaking this oath, breaking this vow. Saul is so concerned about having control, maintaining everybody exactly where they're supposed to be, that he's going to kill his own son because he dipped his staff in honey. It's a little extreme. It's a little, a little over the top. And time and time again, we watch as Saul knows that his kingdom is coming to an end. His son will not become king after him. His line will not continue on the throne. And we watch as God appoints David to come up behind Saul. And Saul knows that he sees David become this great warrior, become this great leader. On multiple occasions, Saul attempts to pin David to the wall with his spear because he is so threatened by him, he can feel the nation slipping through his fingers and he's acting irrationally. He's acting in his own best interest, not the best interest of the nation. He's losing control. He, everything is going wrong right now. Um, Nick, skip the next one. Go to the last Samuel reference if you can. Uh, go to 20. Uh, thank you. This is how bad it has gotten. Saul is so afraid of, of David. He is so afraid that he's going to lose the kingdom to this man. We read that Jonathan is sitting at the... Oh, we read that Jonathan is sitting at a table with all of um, Saul's officials, all of his army leaders, his generals. They notice that David is missing. And Jonathan stands up for David. And he says this, he says, Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. Jonathan stands up and defends David to Saul. And Saul says this, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Nice way to talk about your wife. You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? He's talking about to the shame. Anyways, that's Old Testament reference. We don't need to park on that. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, so, for he shall surely die. And John says, why should he put, be put to death? What has he done? Fair question. What has he done, Father, that he deserves death? Saul's response, he hurled a spear at him. Saul threw a spear at David multiple times. Now he just threw a spear at his own son. Why? Because Jonathan's standing up for David. 
He is losing all grasp of reality. He's not making any sense anymore. Saul has just lost it. Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. He threw a spear at his own son, and now Jonathan's like, yep, not only he's so committed to killing David, he's actually starting to kill all of his supporters. And we watch later throughout the story how, John, how Saul kills priests, and he kills farmers, he kills whoever he can. Anyone who dares speak in defense of David, he kills. All because Saul has a plan. All because Saul wants to stay king, and he's not following God's instructions anymore. He's not following God's will anymore. He is, he's losing it. Second question. For those of you out there, are you guys, are you a planner? Do you have everything sorted out? When you go on holidays, you know exactly what's happening every hour of every day. Like you have got life structured to a T, if that's you, my next question is, what happens when things don't go according to plan? Because if you're a planner, whoop, if you're a planner and your plan is ironclad, <laughs> that's always when things go sideways, right? When you're like, this is what we're doing, da 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 da, and there's no flexibility, there's no give. That's when things go wrong. And the question is, how do we react? How do we adjust? In a and the mask we're going to look at today is called the mask of the overachiever. And this is a really nice way of putting it because the other words for the mask of the overachiever is the mask of the perfectionist, the mask of the control freak, which I, putting that one up probably would not have gone well. But, the mask is, and this is how the mask works. The person who wears the mask of the overachiever, the one who wears the mask of the perfectionist, usually is always well thought of, right? Because they always do everything well. Everything is in order. Their kids are amazing. Their life is just perfect all the time. They're great at work. They're great at church. Everyone just loves the this person, and the person finds security in the fact that everything always goes according to their plan. Nothing ever deviates. They're in complete control. Everything is always good. And the problem with the person who wears this mask is they're always at the mercy of something going wrong. Because as soon as something goes wrong, they are not in control anymore. The plan has been derailed. And their security and their their faith and their strength and everything that is in them is in the plan, is in their ability to keep control. And just like Saul, as soon as control is lost, they start to panic. The person who wears this mask is in constant anxiety that something is going to go wrong. They're constantly living with the anxiety of the unknown, the unpredictable, and often what happens with the person who wears this mask, they, just like the, pers the, person, the martyr who gets alienated because of their exaggeration, the person who wears this mask gets alienated by the person who loves because they are stubborn, because they are obsessive, because they don't trust anyone. They don't trust their loved ones. They don't trust strangers. They don't trust the community. They don't trust a 
person. They won't ever say it, but in their actions and in their words, you start to see they don't, have, they don't trust nobody. And this mask, I would dare say, we all put on at an occasion. We may not constantly wear it, but we always kind of slip it on when the time necessitates that, right? We put it on about our kids, right? Because we never want our kids to get hurt. We never want anything bad to happen to our kids. We don't want our kids to be bullied. We don't want them to get sick. We don't, we don't want any of the things to happen. Well, guess what? Your kids are going to get sick. Your kids are going to get hurt because there's too many variables you can't keep unless you throw them in a bubble. And even then, they'll find a way to get hurt. I have kids, I know. They will find a way. But as long as the kids don't get hurt, as long as I never fight with my spouse, as long as job never goes sideways, as long as my job never makes me stressed out, as long as, as, long as everything always goes according to plan, I'm good. As soon as it gets derailed, as soon as my boss gets mad at me, as soon as my kid breaks their arm, as soon as my, I have a fight with my spouse, everything goes haywire because it's all wrong. And this person lives in constant anxiety of the possibility that something isn't going to work. And that's you. If you put this mask on on occasion, or if you have put your mask, or this is something that you wear constantly, this is your safeguard, this is your security, I have good news. There's a way to take off this mask. Because you're not meant to wear this mask. You're not meant to have security in your plans. You're not meant to have security in the things of this world. You're not meant to have safety in the things that you control. You are meant to have safety in one person and one person alone, and that is the Lord Jesus. And whenever we talk about anxiety, we always talk about the same two verses every single, er, same two passages every time. And guess what? We're going to talk about them again. But hopefully, if you struggle with anxiety, you struggle with constant worry and this idea that you have to be in control of everything all the time, I hope you see these verses and these passages in new light. If you've never heard them before, then I got good news. This is all new for you, so good day. Okay, Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or what you're or nor you're about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet the Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And of and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Which of you can extend your life, the life that God has already planned? How many of you can add an hour to it by worrying? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own 
troubles. Now, one of the things that, one of the versions that I was reading, it asked this question. Do you, oh, oops, come on, oops, clicker, there we go. Jesus asked, in the one version, it said, it worded like this, why are you anxious about food? Why are you anxious about drink? Why are you anxious about clothes? And maybe you're not anxious about those things, but the question is still remains the same. If you struggle with being anxious, you have to stop and ask this question, why am I anxious about fill in the blank? Why are you anxious about your kids? Why are you anxious about your job? Why are you anxious about your marriage? Why are you anxious about... And Jesus uses food and water and clothes, and he uses scripture to back it up. Well, you don't have to worry about, if God closes closes the grass, won't he close you? And the same applies to anything that you fill into this blank. If you're anxious about your kids, don't you know that God has a plan for them? Don't you know that God's going to take care of them and protect them and watch over them for you? Oh, you of little faith, don't you believe that God is who he says he is and he's watching over your kids? If you're worried about the future, don't you know that Jeremiah says that God has a plan for you to prosper you? He has good things in store for you. Oh, you of little faith, don't you know that God is the one? I'm not saying you have little faith. I'm saying, I'm just using Jesus' words. Where is our faith when we are anxious? Where is our faith when we are worried about whatever you throw in that blank? Because God has got it under control. God is bigger than the situation. God is bigger than what you're worried about. God is bigger than... And when we are getting into God's word, we see the promises. We see the way that he takes care of the people of the past. And if he did it in the past, he'll do it again. This is still true. God's promises still remain. And so if you're worried about something, get into God's word and see what God says about it. So many of these things come with this really fancy thing called a concordance. You want verses about your kids? Look for kids at the back. You'll give every verse of how God has given. Your kids are a gift, and God has blessed you with them, and so he's going to take care of them. Why are you anxious, Jesus? And I, I challenge you to pause in those moments of fear and anxiety to just stop and allow Jesus to ask you that question. Why are you anxious about this? I was sharing with the worship team this morning. I was listening to a pastor, and he was talking about anger, which is a whole other thing. And he was talking about how anger isn't necessarily a bad thing, but when we get angry, we need to stop and we have to ask God, God, are you angry about this? Does this make you angry? And if it doesn't make God angry, why does it make you angry? If it does make God angry, then you probably aren't being angry enough about it. But there's a difference between what makes us angry and what makes God angry. In the same way, you need to stop and say, God, are you anxious about this? Because I think God does worry about us sometimes. I think God worries about our kids and our family and our friends who are far from him because he knows how much time they have left and there's, no, there's nothing after death unless they make the decision today. I think God worries about people who are far from him. I think God worries about people who haven't submitted their life and declared him as Lord over their lives. God worries about those people. We should be worried about them. But God's not worried about our kids. 
Because he's watching over our kids. God's not worried about your future because he can see it all laid out. He knows everything that's going to happen from now to the day you die. And it's all good stuff. So we just need to trust God with our future. We need to trust God with our tomorrow. I can see it out of the corner of my eye. I'm like, <laughs> why are you anxious about fill in the blank? And what does God say about it? I'm going to close with this. Philippians 4. And for those of you that struggle with anxiety, I really want you to take these next verses. I want you to read them. I want you to write them in your journal. I want you to say them every single day. I want you to memorize them so that when anxiety comes, you remember this because this next part is so important. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Give thanks. Give praise. Rejoice in the Lord. Let your reasonableness be reasonable. Forgot how to speak English there. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Your reasonableness. How many people in full disclosure? Okay, I'll, I'll throw myself under the bus. When I get anxious, I stop being reasonable. I stop. I start imagining crazy things going to happen. Right? You, you stop being reasonable when your anxiety gets too high. And Paul says, let your reasonableness be known. Overcome your anxiety with your thought, with the brain that God has given you. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. It's hard to be anxious when we are giving God thanks for everything he has given us. Instead of worrying about our kids, give God thanks for the fact that you have kids to worry about. Don't worry. Instead of worrying about your job, give God thanks that you have a job when so many people don't. Instead of worrying about your future, give God thanks that you have a future to step into and to be excited about and to be... But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known. Whenever you're worried, make it known. Give it to God, because God's got it. He's in control. He's bigger than whatever's going on. And the result, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this is amazing news because what happens is when we start focusing on God, we start giving thanks to God for all that he has done and all that he will do and all the ways that he has blessed us and provided for us, all of a sudden the things that used to worry us don't worry us anymore. Nothing's changed about the situation. Nothing's changed about who, in fact, in some cases it's gotten worse. But for some reason I am at peace and I know that it's all going to be good. Why? Because God's peace surpasses all understanding. God's peace surpasses all... It just doesn't make sense, but that's why it's so good, because it is above and beyond what we could ever achieve on our own. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, through prayer and supplication... 
giving thanks to God, make your requests known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank, I thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, God, that there's no situation, there's nothing in our lives that your word doesn't cover. And I pray, God, that those promises and those truths would just fill our hearts and fill our minds, that they would protect our hearts and our minds from worry and from anxiety. I pray, God, that we would become, we would retrain our brain, that in those moments when we want to be anxious, in those moments when we want to worry, we would stop, we would ask, why are we anxious about this? And with that answer, we go to you and say, God, I need your help in this. I give you this because you can handle it and you're going to handle it better than I can. Father, I pray in those moments when we are trying to control everything and we're trying to impose our plan on everybody and we just have crazy expectations of people, I pray, God, that we would replace the control and the anxiety that comes with the control and the fear, we replace it with your love and your thanksgiving and just Stay in this heart of rejoicing and praising you. Help us take the mask off and help us to keep it off. I thank you, God, for the way that you have spoken. I thank you, God, for the way that you have moved this morning. Be with us. Bless everyone as they go out for the rest of the week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.